Hello and welcome to the Dad and Sons podcast. Once again, we've rechanged the format, so it's Dad and Son. You may have noticed we fired George about three episodes back, and it was just me and Matt. Last week, I got fired, and it was just George and Matt. And now, because we're weird and life doesn't work out the way you want it, we've had to fire Matt this week. And it's just me and George, dad and son, so, son and dad. I've, I've been rehired. Thank you. Thank you for, for bringing me back on. I'm uh, very grateful for the opportunity. This is your second probation. I'm getting a second chance, officer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Got a bad feeling about this one. Calispera, uh, Liamnos. Well, you can tell George is in Greece, can't you? I, I just ate a big, fat, greasy piece of lamb. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I forgot about Greek lamb. And spent a whole day out in the hot sun in the sands, looking at really old things and taking pictures. Unless unless you actually don't follow George on Twitter and you think he's joking. No, George really is in Greece right now. He's in Athens, right? Athens is a land of many contrasts. <laughs> George is officially in Greece. So this podcast is coming to you live, not from our studio, you know, our usual studio, but from Athens and Kyoto, Japan. Who's to say we're international? We are all over the place. Like, we and are. sometimes you, you take a break to go to Korea. Or I fly to Seattle or I go to Tokyo like last week. Yeah, no, people, people don't realize you guys, you don't realize we got to battle with three time zones to get this show recorded every week. It's uh, 6 p.m. for me right now. What is it for you, Liam? It is quarter past midnight. <laughs> and for Matt, if Matt was here, it would be 7.15 a.m. So that's the lengths we go to to bring you whatever mess this show is. I, I have one interesting observation I'd like to add to the long list. <laughs> What's that? Uh, we have more of a Skype delay with me in Greece and you in Japan than we do when I'm in a more opposite place of planet Earth in the southeastern U.S. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. So hopefully it doesn't ruin this episode in any way. But if you do notice a slight delay, it's because George went on holiday to Greece because his Rome fetish could not be satiated by making parody Greece videos. Greece is Rome! Well, They're no, different. I know, but your Rome fetish is what's led you on this historian quest to fulfill all adventures uh, assassin's creed odyssey i'm pretty darn sure is why i'm here right now it's the weirdest thing i can't believe an assassin's creed game has sent you to greece i a, a, a very above mediocre assassin's creed game has been so enthusiastic upon your existence that you've gone to athens actual athens that's the, the the weird thing about it is not necessarily the fact that a video game really got me into a really cool real life topic that sparked a new like like chapter of interest and passion in my life. This episode brought to you by Curiosity Stream. And the Greece economy. <laughs> Holy shit, they really need tourists over here bad guys. Please send these people money. I'll get into it later. But anyways. Um 
yeah assassin's creed odyssey is an above mediocre game but it really really got me sucked deep down into a history hole where a lot of the modern world suddenly makes a lot of sense and you know the angle that i'm coming into this to make it relate to video games is something i revealed last week with uh the homer video and uh a few <laughs> Still weeks to months later on down the road i'm i'm doing a, a bigger project on like literary history and how how the stories of adventures and heroes overcoming problems with violence really kind of begin here you guys i mean well not necessarily <laughs> but at least the popularization of a lot of of the tropes i mean i grew up loving lord of the rings and in world of warcraft kind of sort of yeah. And the Elder Scrolls. And that's what I think happened when I was playing Zelda, too. That's what happened when I was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I was like, wow, a lot of either this game does seem derivative of a lot of medieval fantasy properties I like, or Greek history and culture is the origin of all those medieval fantasy tropes I like. Well, you're there and you've done it. And it's weird because have you even finished Assassin's Creed Odyssey yet? Fuck you. <laughs> so you no, will have finished actual real life Greece before you finish the game that inspired you to go there. That that speaks to how A, compelling the game source material is and B, how compelling the game itself isn't. <laughs> George, before we dive more into Greece, because... Matt's not here to rein you in, and I'm just going to have to sit here. But before we rein in, it is the, it's Twitter week. Yes. Oh, and you have a great one. <laughs> yeah. So we, have, we went to you guys, as always. Unfortunately, Matt it isn't here to answer this one. I think Matt would have a great answer for this. Um, but yesterday we posted on Twitter. If you don't know, we post uh, every two weeks on Twitter asking you guys a question or to come up with some sort of inane nonsense for us to read out on here. So go find either George me or Matt on Twitter and you'll find out. But uh, yesterday we asked, uh, if you were Jeff Keighley planning the Game Awards for this year, so obviously we're coming up towards November time, what crazy announcement would you get prepared? And we had, once again, <laughs> hundreds of responses to this. Uh, I don't know if George... We're going to have you... to pick, like, two, aren't we? I, I, yeah. I will say I am rather disappointed. Most, like, almost 60% of all of these responses went straight for the Kojima-Jeff Keighley love relationship, which is, like, the most obvious thing in the world. There are a couple of great ones in there. George, have you got one to start? Or are you... Unable to reach technology while in Greece. No, the internet is is serviceable over here. Um, I, <laughs> I can scroll down them as as we go. You should probably lead, though. So, <laughs> the first one that I came across that made me laugh was uh, Jeff Keighley announces end of life plan for Stadia exclusives. <laughs> That's from Kieran Platts. <laughs> life, just like death, has only begun. Uh, we have <laughs> Brandon Brando Judy. Uh, Jeff Keighley's big announcement would be a Patreon <laughs> announcement. Yeah, the old the old Schick Hydrobot. There's a lot of uh, fandom for for Schick Hydrobots for some reason in these responses. I'm Jeff Keighley, and I have a massively important worldwide announcement that everyone who's ever consumed a single video game needs to care about right now for the next chunk of their life 
I'd like to reveal to you on this stage a Schick Hydrobot game, and you can play it today. That's from uh, Tim Brobsley. An Epic Game Store exclusive you stream through the Apple Arcade. Yeah, <laughs> I was going with something like that. Uh, game Final Blumen says, uh, Jeff Keighley would reveal a world exclusive of Two Human 2 just for Matt Visual. <laughs> I'm Jeff Keeley, and I would like to announce my return as the Dorito Pope. Enjoy this shower of Dorito powder that I am launching into the audience free today. I'd also like to announce a stealth action game set in the in our very own Doritos universe, directed by my good friend and new husband, Hideo Kojima. <laughs> Garen Winter uh, has a great one. Uh, Liam, Matt, and George enter the scene on stage and proceed to announce that one of Dad Den's wrestling management game that everyone's crazy about. <laughs> the crowd claps wildly, and uh, George gets to shake Kojima's hand, and Matt and Liam get to talk about Hader. Guy with the original idea never gets any money. <laughs> At Jaybird Sart suggested a dating game with Ronald McDonald. Well, I mean, they're making one for the Colonel from KFC, so yeah, I, direct I, competition is incoming. You skimmed our, our our topics last week. We just covered bullshit. <laughs> you... <laughs> well, what sirens, pubes, um, um, whether or not the PlayStation button is an X or a cross, and then the KFC dating sim. <laughs> I wonder if there's going to be explicit romance scenes. Ah, oh, man. Capitalism at its finest. Trevor Bradley says, Hi, I'm Kef, Ke I'm Kef Geely. And in light of the unanticipated positive response to my appearance in Death Stranding, I'd like to announce that I'll love appearing in every video game forever. Couldn't have done it without you folks. <laughs> I'm Jeff Keeley, and to stay ahead of the inevitable controversy that will follow this announcement, I would like to preemptively announce that this year's trending gamer is going to be an actual toilet. <laughs> Thanks for that, Cathman Henry. Yeah, they've had a lot of they've had a good string of trending gamer awards, haven't they? Good old boogie. Uh, oh boy, that's gonna age like milk. Yeah. Most of the game industry will age like milk at this point. <laughs> Guy says, Death Stranding 2. <laughs> that would not surprise me at all. Like the biggest announcement of all is a sequel to a game that is yet to be released. Oh God, what if Kojima's career for the next like 15 years is just making never ending, increasingly complicated sequels that are getting increasingly meta aware of Death Stranding? You know, you know that's the future. You know that's what's in store for all of us after Death Stranding sells 15 million copies. That would be so sad. And it's also probably far too likely to actually happen. He gets to do whatever the hell he wants from now on. So, like, it's his choice as long as it sells. Because I, I mean, you know, Sony are, bank, Sony are bankrolling the whole thing. So One would think that he would have been able to do whatever he would have wanted at the previous studio but i guess revelations showed us otherwise that's not how it works in japan you know that george no one's bigger than the company but now kojima is the company 
He is Kojima Productions. I, but that's why I'm interested to see whether or not he ends up doing sequels or original products projects after Death Stranding. It's, I don't know, but I mean, Death Stranding is going to be full of a lot of stupid Kojima stuff. So let's get excited for whatever comes after Death Stranding. You haven't even watched the the TGS stage demos, have you? Yeah, and Matt and I talked about that. We decided we don't want to know how to how to escape the ghosts until we're actually playing the game. So you, you don't you don't even know about some of the weird stuff that's already in it. I I I'm going to love being surprised by it and I I Come on, it's 2019. Everyone's on Twitter. I'll probably find out anyways. You don't know about Norman Reedus pointing at the toilet if he wants to go to the toilet. Huh. Well, I mean, I did get to see him pee on the grass in a mushroom grew up, and that was, like, weird and cool. No, no. Like, I don't think it's any story spoilers or anything, but you really should watch the second TGS Day demo. Not the first one, because the first one had, like, a lot of gameplay. Yeah, is it long? It's 50 minutes long. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, okay, I think we need to, maybe we need to start a new nomenclature. Like, can we differentiate between story spoilers and gameplay spoilers? I don't know, because what constitutes what in Death Stranding, really? I mean, so far, we've seen some gameplay now from TGS. Like, I watched the live stage demo with Kojima inanely pointing out every single thing. But the second TGS stage demo, the first the first day demo, which I watched, which was like 50 minutes long, was the one that had the bulk of all of the different variants of gameplay. It was like a, it was a cut together 50 minute gameplay trailer, essentially. And Kojima just talked over the top of it. I don't think anybody was playing it live. I, I heard a little bit of a gist of the gameplay, and that is like actually taking the idea walking simulator and actually doing something cool with it. And also trying to make a game where you're not killing bad guys most of the time, which sounds what? like something I've wanted to do for a long time. Ten minutes of the gameplay section was Metal Gear Solid Five. Yeah, I, I could I could picture that. I, like I'm I, like no word of lie. Watching like when I walked in and watched like the first ten minutes of it, I was like, wow, that's that's Metal Gear Solid Five. Like Sam Norman Reedus enters a camp. He stealths around, he CQCs people, takes them out, steals a car, drives away. It's like... Dun, dun, dun. It's the weirdest thing. Anyway, thank you to everybody who uh, posted <laughs> Twitter stuff. I guess we can get into the the other stuff that's been happening this week. Mostly Death Stranding stuff that has been leaking. Not leaking, but reaching the far corners of the internet this week. You You were there. I was there. I went to Tokyo Game Show. I got fired last week from the podcast. Oh my god. You can't joke about that these days. When you just said that, my heart actually skipped a beat. I felt it. I could have died. I got cancelled by Matt and George. Okay, that's better than fired to BH. Not right now it isn't. No way. The word cancelled is is like if you say it, you get cancelled. Well, you can still like... like... It's like cooties. Work whatever you say, job you say, you got. got it. <laughs> That's true. Oh, so I have to fall back onto my career as a game developer because I got cancelled by YouTube. Well, if you get cancelled, you can just start a GoFundMe and raise like 30k in, in a day for being edgy. <laughs> yeah, being fired is, is worse than being cancelled, kids. True. Well, I mean, if you're an internet creator and you get cancelled, it is like being fired. I, I miss the days of having like 
a, a workplace that was different from my house. But the grass is always greener on the other side because you can't see the dirt. <laughs> the grass between. is always greener in hindsight. Yeah. Everything's great. But for my job, I did go to Tokyo Game Show last week. Yay! I wasn't fired from that job. It was quite the opposite. Good. So I went to Tokyo Game Show like I do every year. But this year, I had a lot more work to do, which was different. But it was still great because I, I still got to go to the show, which is garbage as everybody who's ever been to the tokyo game show will know as as someone who's not a fan of crowds i have been advised i probably would not like that one you would hate it then and you wouldn't hate it just because there is like three hundred thousand people who attend that event like and we're talking public days the the it's thursday friday saturday sunday Thursday, Friday is press and uh, business days. So you have meetings, You, it's the whole show floor, but it's meant to be only, you know, business. It's meant to be B2B and press and same thing that happens at Gamescom, E3, blah, blah, blah. Which doesn't even sound this, like a crowd. But even this year, like the business days was so busy. So really? busy. Yeah, super busy. Like at least 50,000 people. Is that because everyone these days is a YouTuber? Maybe, especially in Japan, like YouTube, like, uh, you know, Let's Plays and stuff like that. Being YouTubers in Japan is a huge thing now. So there is a lot of that. There's a lot of like, you know, YouTube creators from Japan going. And then we have international press. You don't have so many like international YouTubers. I mean, there's more and more each year like gerard and aaron were here last year i, so. I do remember when i was in youtuber last i no, oh my what did i when i was in japan you last, in YouTube I, last. <laughs> I i i was asking someone how i should introduce myself as a youtuber and they just said go ahead just say it just say youtuber and um youtuber is the number one most wanted job by it, it's still cool children over there it's japan. not cool out here in in you know here in greece in western civilization as yeah, they yeah, say yeah. But no, being being a, like the YouTube scene ish, whatever you want to call it, like the YouTube space in Japan is what YouTube was five years ago in the West. Like everybody wanted to make videos. Everybody wanted to do Let's Plays. Everybody wanted to make money off YouTube. Back before the shame took over my brain. Yeah. Back before, if you say it, you should be like scrubbed down with like mesh now now i am a um internet video producer <laughs> that's what i am now that's, you that's wish. how i introduce myself <laughs> that what's not wrong you say that to anybody in the west who knows you're a youtuber they'll be like yep sure sure well, you are no maybe they'll think i do like bumper ads for hbo go or something I've, there's other places you can make videos would you take more pride in that being your title i would probably have less like guilt and shame clouding my brain and making <laughs> it hard to like you know think by myself sometimes what are you more proud of being a youtuber or a podcaster oh you've made this hard for me haven't you I can't win no matter what answer I pick. This is like yeah, one of the I feel worst like... kinds of girlfriend questions. <laughs> I feel like even being a podcaster these days, like people ask you, what do you do? You're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm like a podcaster. I have a podcast. They're like, ew. Do these pants make ew. my butt look big or sexy? <laughs> That's the, the age old question. Is that what you're getting everybody in Greece to ask you? I'm just going to say I'm a Canadian internet video producer is what I'm going to say. <laughs> just... 
Well, next year, as a Canadian video producer, <laughs> you can come out to Tokyo Game Show, to TGS, and I'll show you how garbage it is. And I won't take you on the public days, though, which have like 100,000 people per day. It's insane, and don't ever go near it. It's hard to explain unless you go to Tokyo Game Show why it's bad. You can picture in your head right now, it's in Japan, it's in Tokyo, it's like all the old Japanese companies, and it must be amazing. It must be like going to E3, but like the Japanese E3. It is absolutely not. It is it is the most sterile, boring, by-the-numbers trade show, and it is in the worst place. It is in Chiba which is not exactly Tokyo. It's like the peninsula area next to Tokyo. So it, if you stay in Tokyo, because you will, you'll stay like in Shinjuku or Shibuya because you want to be near to where all the uh, parties and events are that are happening during Tokyo Game Show Week because that's where most of your business can be done or most of the people go to after the show. So then you have to travel like an hour and a half to Chiba. Now, the problem is, Chiba, to get to the Makuhari Messi, which is the event hall that the Tokyo Game Show takes place in, it's on the same train line as Tokyo Disney. Oh, no. So there's kids and families? So there is all of the Tokyo Game Show, and it's one train. One fucking train. One train. And it's like, it's not even like uh, like suburban areas. It's all industrial uh ports and like steelworks and factories and stuff so there's not really, really any buses or roads there either it's all like mostly like huge factories and port side areas that are inaccessible unless you're working there really so there is this one train this damn one train that goes there and before you get there there is the Tokyo Disney stop so you have not only all of the Tokyo game show people getting this train but you have all of the people who are also going to tokyo disney so it is an absolute nightmare Ugh. and it's so far away it's like an hour and a half from shibuya which is you know kind of dead center tokyo so you're like how is this the tokyo game show what a wasted opportunity game show like when i close my eyes and picture tokyo game show you probably know what I'm picturing. I'm picturing like mascots dancing around to music. I'm picturing like super high-tech arcade cabinets everywhere. So take take all that out and replace it with like very old-fashioned booth babes because there are nothing but yeah, booth to babes. To be fair, I'm picturing that too. All Japanese men taking photos of them. They do not care what games are there. They only care <laughs> about taking photos of these women at these booths. So Japan is like stepping into E3... 15 years ago and then tokyo game show is like imagine all of the old japanese companies that you love and adore and then imagine them not presenting anything konami had one giant booth and it was just for pez <laughs> oh 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 the soccer game i thought you were talking about the candy yeah. dispenser no pro evolution soccer you know they had the castlevania mobile game Grimoire of Souls, which to be fair did look pretty good, and they were giving out skipping rope or jump rope, wherever you're from. Shape that was kind of like modeled after like Vampire Killer, like the whip uh, from Castlevania. Yeah, so that's that's kind of cool. But then like you you walk around and it's huge, like it's massive. It's like Gamescom ish in size. So it's like three hole, well four holes 
one hall is like off in the distance that is the indie area and merchandise area which is easily the best part of tgs and i was super happy to see there was a shit ton of indies this year it was great but the other three main halls where all of the stuff is is just like companies you've never heard of like crappy japanese mobile companies that sell like gacha games or cloud services or they just want to hire students to do like app development and stuff like that just Tons of companies you've never heard of, and they have loads of booth babes and nothing else. No games to play, just pamphlets for you to take and read about them in such a Japanese fashion. It's so, so garbage. It hurts. So there aren't like to go there. demo stations that, that you get mileage out of? So this is the thing is there is, right? There is, but it's like the big guys. So you would have... PlayStation, and to be fair, PlayStation's TGS booth is always really good. So you got PlayStation, and then you got Capcom, and then you have, uh, you know, Square Enix. Square Enix have some stuff usually. Obviously, I'll get to in the minute the only game I played at TGS this year, the one singular singular game. The problem is because there is such a small amount of like actually demo games that you want to play you don't want to play some crappy gacha game you've never heard of from a company you've never ever heard of in your life but what if the booth babe was real cute there is literally about ten thousand of them so you be you you got your pick but there is like a lack of things to play so the problem is everybody rushes to get like a a ticket because you get like a ticket with a time on it that allows you to come back and play the game because the lines oh my god the lines the lines go on for hours and hours like on saturday the first public day tickets for final fantasy 7 remake the demo sold out by 10 10 the doors open at 10 that's not fair so a whole day's worth of queuing started within 10 minutes. That makes me... And you would never have got to play that, that, If you traveled all the way there to try and play that game, you were shit out of luck. Remember when you're a kid and you're experiencing unfairness for the first few times and it stings extra hard? That's what this sounds like. I would never take my child there. Like if my child was like, Daddy, Daddy, I really want to play... I really, really want to play Final Fantasy VII Remake or Resident Evil Project Resistance. I'd be like, we'll try our best, son. That'll be the day that the magic of childhood ends. And then we'd get there and we'd get there like, you know, we'd get there at 10, 15 because we'd be a little late because he had to like pee and he took his time. And you're like, come on, son, you know, you want to play the game? And he's like, yeah, don't worry, I'm coming. And then... You get there and there are no tickets and you have to you have to like lean over and look dead in his eyes and be like, son, that two hour train ride with all those Disney people who definitely look like they were going to have more fun than oh, us. Oh, no. It, it, it wasn't worth it. We didn't get a ticket. Let's try again next year. The world is cool. And then you have to walk around all day playing crappy gacha games that for him he ends up like yeah he gets over it in half an hour because he's a kid and you're like oh he's fine but then you as the game playing adult you're like fuck there's nothing here that is worth playing well you you did come away super hyped about one thing 
However, yes, I was one of the lucky ones. I stood in front of that child and got my ticket before he did. You just can't make this sound good, can you? <laughs> the child doesn't exist, man. There were definitely probably some disappointed souls last weekend, that's for sure. No, I, I played one whole game. One. I played more games at PAX, and I didn't even have that much time on the PAX floor. I played one game, and it, it was because it was the only game I did want to play. Let me, before I talk a, a little bit about this, is I don't really have any nostalgia for Final Fantasy VII. I enjoy other people's nostalgia about Final Fantasy VII. Music's great, music gets me every time, but in terms of the actual game, if you if you sat me down with the game now, I would probably turn it off in like 30 minutes. I'd be like, I don't want to play this now. So, but talking, listening to other people talk about Final Fantasy VII, like Matt talking about it and stuff like that, and other people who are very, you know, big fans of it and always have been, I love listening to that because obviously Final Fantasy VII is a great game. But I didn't, I, I don't really have that much high expectation, let's put it that way. But I did manage to get to play it, and it's probably the best demo I've ever played. Demos are cool, right, Liam? But it reminded me of when you're a kid and you get PlayStation 2 demos through the door, like with a magazine. Wasn't that good, it was Liam? That, it was. Do you remember me telling you how good the Resident Evil 2 demo was? And you were like, meh. Well, because there's a lockout where you can only play it once. What is that bullshit? But you still got to experience it. Anyway, regardless, the Final Fantasy VII demo was the the spider boss, like the robot spider thingy. I forget the name of what, what it's called. Is there an um, elevator? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're in I, the I, reactor. I think I remember to, this, actually, yeah. Yeah, you're trying to you're trying to blow up the reactor with Barrett and you know Barrett shouting at you, and it's that sequence. And you get like, it's only a, a twenty minute demo. Well, you get well at TGS, you had twenty minutes to try and finish it, uh, but the game would end if you reached twenty minutes or if you beat the boss. I managed to beat the boss, which is great. But you get like the first five minutes, you get to walk around the reactor a little bit, like you could in the original game, and you fight uh smaller enemies like uh and then you move down towards the the boss with barrett and man first off game is gorgeous it's so good looking like you know what we know square enix for you know when final fantasy 10 came out and we were like whoa look at that and then 12 came out and you're like oh my god that's on playstation 2 and then we saw like 13 for the first time and everybody was like wow that looks amazing but the game's garbage and then 15 and it was like wow look versus there, 13 there was that looks pretty speculation good. if you remember back in uh 2005 circus 6 when the ps3 was revealed there was speculation and controversy over whether or not the ff13 reveal trailers were pre-rendered or not like with the kill zone yeah. 2 trailers but those were the ff13 ones were always real if i remember correctly and that that shocked people and this is what shocks me about final fantasy uh 7 remake is it's real time baby and the particle effects in this game are like beautiful it's not it's not like i don't know like you could look at a game like infamous second son you know the one that came out with the playstation 4 yeah that's... and the particle effects that uses and you know you can look at it and you're like oh that's technically pretty impressive and obviously we've come a long way since then with games like horizon zero dawn and resident evil 2 recently and other great looking games but there's something about the way final fantasy 7 remake just everything's happening. 
and all the particle effects of all the magic and the attacks are going off at the same time. Real time movement is happening and it's it's great. So first off, you're like, wow, this game looks amazing. Character models are incredible. Cool. They've nailed it. This looks basically like you're playing Advent Children, but better real time. And then do you remember a couple of months ago when we were talking about the combat and how I was like, I think they've done something smart with the combat. Right. George, they've done something smart with the combat. I can't believe it. I know. It's crazy, right? You think of 15 and you're like, wow, real time combined with like slowing down time. They didn't do that very well. It's a bit all over the place. But they took that, put it in Final Fantasy VII, fucking made it well, like the best combat I've I've feel in an RPG for a long time. So you're 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 gonna have to explain it to me because I've never really been a big fan of of what looks in the videos at least. It kind of looks like a Kingdom Hearts style system that was also kind of sort of what what FF15. You see, it's like imagine if Kingdom Hearts combat had like a focus and you could control it and it felt good combined with like Dragon Age and being able to do real time stuff but also pause the battle. <sighs> At the same okay, time. yeah, because I I always <clears throat> was a big fan of Dragon Age uh, Origins combat where it felt like tactical. Yes, like like your angles matter. So this is the thing that's so awesome about the Final Fantasy VII remake is that the new combat, you real time you press the square button to attack with Cloud, but then you can immediately, no matter what you're doing, you don't have to wait for a cooldown. You haven't have to wait for anything. You can press Circle, which is the command menu and once you press that time slows completely down like almost to a pause it doesn't it's not like half slow motion where if you don't do it in time you'll get hit it it almost slows down to a pause and it's moving at the like minutiae of speed and then you have the ability to choose your magic or your ability or your items but you can also do that for your other teammates as well and then you can choose everything and then as soon as you press like you know fire it snaps right back into the combat real time and then Cloud stops what he's doing or he finishes up his attack and then immediately switches to what you asked him to do. And it just feels like super snappy and like impactful because of everything that's happening, like the pausing and like the quick animations and then all the particle effects and everything. It just feels really good and like it has a focus and that you are in control the whole time. It isn't like Kingdom Hearts where you're just like mashing buttons and like fucking firing out magic and it's hitting random enemies and you're just doing it until all the enemies are off the screen it, you are focused and you can switch between the characters so like you could literally be cloud go up to the enemy tank the enemy take its aggro start hacking and slashing at it then like do the command button fire out a fire and then while that's happening you can then switch over to barrett to then run around and do cover fire and draw the enemy again from aggro away from Cloud so Cloud can do like his fire and his omni slash and everything and then have Barrett hide behind cover and then start like firing out abilities in real time. It was so cool and it just worked so fucking well. It felt amazing. I just hope so much that the balance they had between the combat and like the cinematic because you know the boss would react and then it, the camera would change and it would go all cinematic and it looks really cool and everything's happening and you're like oh my god this is like a huge set piece but it's just like the first boss of the game 
My only worry going away from that demo was that, my god, I hope the rest of the game is like this. I wonder if you're going to be able to do that Dragon Age troll tactic where you just run the enemy in circles while all of your your mages and archers stand back and pepper it with bullets. I think, I don't know, it depends on how the AI is programmed, but it looks like you can aggro things and if you're dealing more damage, you can, you know, draw it away. But they do like sometimes just, you know, do their own thing. And But... They announced like after or during TGS that they're going to have like a classic mode battle system as well, where it's more like an ATB system. <laughs> so if you don't like anything Liam just talked about, you can just switch yeah. it over. But please, please give it a try because I think you will like it. I th- I honestly think it's a really smart combat system that combines the what jrpgs need to evolve beyond just turn-based battle systems but still have that feeling that you can do tactical decisions like kingdom hearts nothing is tactical uh maybe games like tales of vesperia and stuff where you could move around and choose or star ocean they kind of were pushing towards this kind of thing but it doesn't feel as like impactful as like the final fantasy 7 remake it is really good and it, it just felt great. And it was easily the most fun and enjoyable demo I, that I've played in ages. I think Resident Evil 2 demo was the last time I was this impressed. And I have no nostalgia for Final Fantasy VII. But now, it's like my number one game for next year. I really like the sound. Like, what the shit? I really like the sound of that Dragon Age style combat. that You used that as a, uh, as, as the basis for comparison, I think is probably doing more for me than any videos are gonna it's like they've looked at like what bioware did with like mass effect more so because in mass effect you can get away with never really pausing it yeah mass effect turned into bad gears of war as as the series went on but the the like two and one you could two is probably the best one where it refined it a bit where you could balance it but you could get through the whole game without pausing it and you definitely can probably in Final Fantasy VII, you can just mash and do Cloud's attacks. But Cloud, you know, can he can like jump and do stuff. Like he has a bit of a bit of action combat to him now. It's not Bayonetta, but it's like a little bit of action combat. But you're going to be using the command menu and pausing it and doing tactical decisions all the time, like you would in like Dragon Age and stuff like that. And that's what really excites me. They've looked at they've looked at other companies outside of Japan and they've gone, what the hell are those guys doing? And then they've incorporated it into this. Of course they had to make like a classical system because Japan can't fucking just move on from things. Okay. I've always wondered though, what the hell was going on in the late eighties and nineties where a lot of the really cool Japanese pop culture that we still love today. I mean, they had to have been innovating back then, right? What happened to that? I don't know. They started selling millions of copies of games and realized they didn't need to. Oh, so capitalism? Maybe. I mean, you got to remember when, you know, the first couple of Final Fantasies were made, budgets were like in the thousands. Yeah, and, it, and you know, it was called Final Fantasy for a reason. Yeah, well, so the, so the story goes. I was impressed. That's it. Like, I'm, I'm obviously Hype Master 5000 <laughs> and all aboard the hype train forever. Between the three but of seriously, us, yeah. Yeah, but seriously, like... I'm I'm happy I played it. I was I had a demo ticket, but it was it was a pretty late time because I had to go back to Shibuya because I was going to be on the eight four play podcast, which I did do last week. If you 
listen to that show at all. So I was like, ah, I don't really have time to play this. But then I found out the demo was only 20 minutes long. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll do it. You know, I'm not that bothered, but I'll try it. And I was like, by the end, I was like, oh no, oh no, I fell in love. As 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 great in that as that is in everything, there is an item on your docket here that uh that that I am feverishly fascinated in hearing about. Wait, are we not going to talk about Greece first? I think everybody wants a break from my hype fascinations. Okay, well, yeah, sure. I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll get into it. <laughs> bring us, <laughs> do the old George routine of bringing us down with how you found Greece very disparaging from your dreams. You know how sometimes there's those Japanese tourists who go to Paris and then they have to like spend a year in therapy because there's graffiti and trash in Paris. <laughs> You know how in, the view of Japanese people is hilarious, but yes. You, you know how how in Deus Ex games you play a, a tutorial level in a really like fancy clean building with high tech future robots everywhere, and then you go on your first mission and it's like a, a high tech terrorist military base with with turrets and <laughs> and hyper armored guards, and you're like, okay, I'm getting a picture for what this future is going to be like, and then you finish those levels in any of the the four Deus Ex games, and they throw you out on the streets. And there's trash and children begging for food, and it's it's horrible, and it's not like the future hope, they set you up for I at really all. I really hope we don't have any Greek listeners. Oh, we have Greek at least Greek. one. I was just talking to uh, uh, my new friend, um, Konstantamos. Yeah, but but I think he knows what there I'm talking about. There you go. All about. you have to do to hang out with George is live in a very, I don't want to say mainstream country, but you know... Not a popular tourist destination by any means. Then George will become your friend. Greece is not a po- what? The- like I know, I know, I know, I know. It it is. It definitely is. I know what I'm saying, but you know what I mean. So so the way Calispera explained it to me is that the problem Greece has been having for the past decade is that a massively big tourism industry was like the only real reliable bedrock of an economy they've they've had for a while here. Yeah, and like also like they tanked financially due to the massive Icelandic bank crisis not that long ago. Woo-wee. So I uh, get to the airport and it, it looks like a nice, clean, fine airport. I ride the subways down to where my Airbnb is and it looks like a, a regular, nice, clean subway system. But a few things did strike me odd. Immigration <laughs> officer did not ask me any questions whatsoever. He just looked at my passport, <laughs> said, yeah, stamped it, let me in. There was no customs procedure at the airport. You know how, how when you're visiting America or Japan... It took me it took me three hours to get into America. In Greece, you... Three you, hours. You, you walk in. <laughs> boy, oh boy, do they, do they want your tourism dollars. I get out of the subway station... And what, there's, there's graffiti everywhere. I mean, okay, so this is, and, and rundown buildings that, that people are living in. Like, okay, I'm, I have had experience in the ghettos of Atlanta, right? But the population <laughs> density is, is less there than it is here. Like there, there are tens of people living in buildings that are clearly not, not up to standard or, or whatever code I'm sure they want them to have. And I don't, I, I, you know, I can't I can't say too much of it because I don't I don't want to risk making any kind of insensitive jokes or remarks about it. But well, now the Dead and Sons podcast is now banned <laughs> by the Greek government and is yeah, not I... allowed to be listened to in Greece or Cyprus or Crete or any of the 
Cyprotic Islands. I don't want to risk, you know, getting canceled and everything. I'll, I'll, I'll make a few interesting <laughs> observations that I hope aren't too controversial. I mean, graffiti is like, by the by, you're from America. Yeah, and, and I also was in Berlin where there's a big classic democratic protest movement of graffiti being everywhere. Athens is super into it. There's always protests going on in Athens, too. I, I drove past one, too. Um, yeah, the home yeah, of democracy is, is covered in graffiti and protesters. But it's a different vibe. I, I I don't know. In Berlin, I didn't feel unsafe around graffiti. And here I, I kind of witnessed at least one person getting dragged off by the cops for what I'm guessing was shoplifting. Like there was a beggar. Well, that's the right thing to happen. There, there was a beggar in his underwear on crutches that I had to like skip around to, to get to a restaurant um, on the subway. I've never seen this kind of begging before. This is an interesting observation. There was one beggar on the subway who had a uh, floppy black x-ray scans of, of his of his injury. You could see the, the metal spikes in his leg from it. And um, I, I mean, that's one way to try and win sympathy. Yeah, no, it's it's sad. The, the, the thing is, you don't see that from from the impoverished in America. Because in order I don't to even know, because I'm going to stop you right there. When I was in Seattle, which you know, Seattle, pretty well-to-do city in America, there were so many homeless people. I'm, but did they have black floppy X-rays? That's what I'm talking about. I just want to focus on the black floppy X-ray. They all had signs like, "I just got kicked out." Oh I'm no, I'm sure they had. Some, I know. What I'm talking. I've never seen them have black floppy x-rays from the hospital because to get to the hospital, you need health insurance. And for that, you need a job. So do you think, well, I don't know. I don't know how the social security health system works in Greece. I mean, in the UK, mm, yeah, it's I free looked it up. So you... it, it, it still ranks higher in healthcare than the States. I mean, yeah, well, there you go. That's why that homeless guy could have mm, yeah. x-ray scans. But and most he, people in America have cardboard signs. And there's no way in hell you'd raise enough money to pay for the procedure from begging in America either. Um, so are you scared of Greece? Is that what's happening? No, is the, I'm not. Is this what's happening? Okay, I mean, kids, if you're traveling to Greece, <laughs> please, please, please Google the neighborhood your Airbnb is staying in. I wish I Googled more. I did Google the the Medexagorgio um, Airbnb I was staying at, and there was graffiti. There was rundown buildings. But I was like, I'm a solo male tourist. I can handle that. And then I looked up um, Greece's weapon laws. It turns out you're not allowed to carry knives or pepper spray in this country. Yeah, same as the UK. Okay, oh, you know, I'm all about confiscating people's guns and other leftist conspiracies, but I feel like like moving to the knives and the pepper spray for a solo traveler in this kind of neighborhood is... <sighs> you don't know the neighborhood! Oh my god, the picture of you walking around Greece, like, a little paranoid that someone's gonna rob you, is both... Adorable and hilarious. Well, what a, I'm I'm apparently staying in a really bad neighborhood. I thought I could handle it because I've stayed in shady neighborhoods in Berlin, and it it still had like a comfy vibe to it. This did the did the Airbnb r reviews not mention the dodgy neighborhood? The reviews said that if you're a solo male traveler, you should be fine, but solo female travelers should beware. So okay, I I get into the Airbnb. I uh, witnessed what does. Seriously, even as someone experienced with with the ghettos in the southeast, the the population density here is a different kind of of poverty. I have not seen this vibe before. So so, anyways, I'm I'm going to change topics over to the other side. 
which is uh, the, the tourist area around the Acropolis, where, oh my god, you really do feel the magic out there. There's like street performers, uh, people walking their babies on strollers, like uh, stray cats and dogs just hang out and they're tolerated and they're taken care of and they're loved. And uh, it's, it's, it's like the first two levels of a deus ex game. So you're having fun, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a, uh, in front of the Acropolis, there's a, a hill called um, Aropagus Hill. And it's a little rocky outcrop. And unlike the Acropolis itself, it's it's free for entry and open 24-7. And there's a couple of cops down in front of it at all times. It's, it's a very cozy spot where all the tourists and like local couples go up to watch the sunset. And I was standing in front of a couple guys who decided to light up a joint on this spot. And I overheard them imitating American accents and giggling about it. And it was just like, it was such a comfy vibe. It was, it was, it was the exact opposite of the kind of neighborhood my, my Airbnb is in, but I'm sure I'll be fine. I'll make it out of this. I'm, I'm a solo male traveler. I can handle this. I can handle these mean streets of Metaxagorgio. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> just the idea of you walking around by yourself, being a little on edge. I I mean, picture... The, the underwear with crutches guy hobbling on one leg down a tiny sidewalk that doesn't have room for two people and me trying to pass him with like a popped collar party shirt, sunglasses and a backpack and khakis. <laughs> and all he's thinking is not to rob you, but he's just thinking dumb American. I think so. Apparently, as bad as the economy is, crime rates are still relatively low in Greece. I mean, mostly across Europe. So, so I'm sure it is just dumb American paranoia. You probably, you probably find, you would probably find the crime rate is higher in Paris, in certain districts in Paris, than in Greece. Mm, probably maybe, ex exponentially. Maybe that's why including the Japanese tourists. tourists need uh, therapy. I mean, yeah, Paris. Obviously, it's the same as anywhere. It depends where you go. Like, there are bad neighborhoods everywhere. Even in Osaka, Japan, like there are just places you just don't walk down because you're less likely to get stabbed and stuff. But you you can get robbed, like no doubt. I guess you know. Doesn't paint a whole picture of the place though. Out of the places I've I've been though, it really feels like like Japan and Sweden. Out of the countries I've been to, are just like their own pockets of. A completely different kind of, of 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 state of economic well-being and and the government taking care of people and it's you, you hear me shivering right <laughs> a little the, the world feel, is a land feel of, the vibe of, everybody of listening can feel can feel the vibe that you're giving off well I hope you can enjoy the rest of your trip without being nervous I I'm sure I will I spent the day um photographing the Acropolis and uh, comparing my footage with screenshots I brought with me from Assassin's Creed Odyssey. You know that, have, have you had the sensation before of going to a place in real life that you've been to in a video game? Like uh, if you go to New York City after playing GTA I live 4, in Japan. Or, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like when I was in Japan, I was like, oh, it's like Yakuza. I don't take screenshots with me. Well, that's also because you're not making a video about it when you get home. Um, did you did you take paper screenshots? Uh, no, they're on my phone. 
Oh, okay, okay. I thought I literally, <laughs> as soon as you said it, thought you'd taken printouts in like a plastic clear folder and you were carrying them around, like holding them up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally should have. I should have like had a binder <laughs> with <laughs> that actually would have been helpful for the, the angles I was set. Liam, you just said something really stupid that was actually a good idea and I feel bad about it. Well, actually, you made me think that you were doing something stupid. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was like, this is the most George thing I've heard of. And it would have been really smart if I did that stupid thing. Like, if I was a part of what would George do last week, I would have I would have definitely answered George would print out <laughs> screenshots yeah. from Assassin's Creed. I hate to say that, yeah, I Greece. would. And I would, like, love it. I wouldn't have even... <laughs> I... Oh my god. Anyways, yeah, you've had that sensation before you've been to a a, a place Yeah, where yeah, I mean, yeah, Kyoto's Kyoto's not there aren't many games based on Kyoto. Uh, obviously there's a lot of games inspired by Japan which a lot of it comes from Kyoto because Kyoto has you know, the traditional Japanese architecture, but when you go to very much Kabukicho in like Shinjuku and you see Yakuza, you see the game. It's right there. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, I, it's I, almost a picture perfect. Match. I would wager that like Shinjuku, I think, is the iconic representation of like postcard pop culture appearances in Japan. Either that or Harajuku. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you play Yakuza Zero, then you know the bits with Majima. Like if you go to Dotonbori in Osaka and you play Sotonbori in the game, they're they're identical they're exactly the same it's so weird you can navigate around you you have a sense of direction from the game you have a sense yeah, of like definitely, familiarity definitely. i mean it's on a very small scale but absolutely you have a direction because the sites are the same like the greco man and the big giant crab restaurant and all that kind of stuff so is, is there I, I can say that i have not felt the sensation of of seeing a historical depiction of a completely different layout of the same place I'm going to in real life. That was new and weird and really fascinating, the stuff my brain was doing. It was like filling in the gaps with pictures from the game. I can't believe this happened because of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. <laughs> I know, right? Of all the games in the world. But I guess it. Makes but sense. Greece is is also an extremely popular tourist destination that a lot of people visit once before they die. And if I'm going to do that and be a part of that normie crowd, I might as well do it from from video game. Anyways, and I'm also sure so that where there's... are you going? Where are you going? Like, what is your plan? What are you going to see? What are you what what is? Are you going to do like just the Odyssey based stuff? Or are you going to do the whole like Greek mythology, like Mount Olympus type stuff too? Um, those are going to be two separate videos and it's not necessarily going to be like about the olympic gods and then the mythology itself so much as about how tropes have developed as uh as as religions turned into fiction turned into pop culture ah yeah really fascinating topic i'm reading through a dissertation called medievalism and identity in skyrim that's going to be a part of this wow my god you you're such a joy <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Thanks. Did you play any games on the plane ride? Oh, for chance. Yeah, yeah. I, I. Was it Assassin's Creed Odyssey? No, it was. It was. It was a different. Before that, so so it hit me when I was walking through the Propylon gates to the Acropolis, because in the yeah. game they're covered in gold. They're covered in curtains. There's there's an actual ceiling above you, and in real life, the same freaking columns are in the same exact place. The steps lead you up in the same route almost, but it's 
it's faded and crumbled and and ground down to the foundations and it's hot as hell and it's dusty and it's like like I, I think I know what all those those postmodern writers were going through after World War One when they started writing poems about how depressing the ancient world actually is. Because you really you feel the weight of 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 centuries when when comparing the the depiction in Odyssey versus like actually walking through it in real life. It's it's bigger than the game makes it look like, but it's also so <laughs> much more worn down from have... I almost have tears in my eyes of the just the continued thought of you walking through with paper screenshots of <laughs> a video game from 2019, looking at real historical places from hundreds of years ago, and be like, "Wow, thousands! Wow, the video the video game nailed this." I mean, it's hard to say. We're talking 2,500 years here. I know. Uh, to be fair, that is pretty incredible. The fact that. Not Assassin's Creed Odyssey matched it. I mean, that is pretty impressive. I can't but fucking the wait. Fact that, the fact that it's still there. I cannot wait to go home and play around with <laughs> play their Assassin's wonderful Creed little... Odyssey. Okay, okay, yeah. To be fair, saying I can't wait to go home was pretty silly. I can't wait to play with their, their really good camera mode and the Discovery Tour and line up the screenshots with uh, my footage and see what happens. <laughs> it's going to be magic, I tell you. <laughs> oh, this is... Yeah. It's gold. Yeah, definitely. And it's all too wonderful. The glee you get out of this. Um, so yeah, uh tomorrow I am bicycling the original marathon. Oh wow. And then I'm gonna be going to the island of Patmos where there is a thing called the Cave of the Apocalypse. That sounds more ghetto than the ghettos you're staying in. Oh hell no. Patmos is gonna be gorgeous. I uh I've 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 seen pictures and saw no graffiti in any of them. <laughs> All men with X-ray. The Assassin's Cats. the Assassin's Creed locations I'm going to be doing this uh, comparison footage projects for are going to be like the Acropolis yeah. around Athens. There's a roadside cemetery I uh, went through as well, which is so freaking weird. There's a little relief of a um, they put on a tombstone of a girl who died circa 350s BC, and there's a little yappy toy dog like <laughs> climbing up at her heels, and and you can almost like hear this this tiny little annoying dog from from thousands <laughs> of years ago still still yapping its way through the millennia on uh, on these inscriptions. Wow, but I'm actually kind of jealous now. In Japan, there are those really really old historical sites, but they're made out of wood that's been replaced. Yes. And and here you see like stone that used to be sharply cut, that used to be painted, but it's been ground down and everyone looks a little like puffier and smooth than than they're supposed to. And oh <laughs> there's a there was one at the museum at the roadside cemetery called um well it before I say what it was called, it was basically just the penis. <laughs> It was just the pe- but there's the statue that, that they only have a penis of left over. And the little plaque <laughs> underneath it said torso of a kuoros. Fair enough. Fair enough, right? Yeah, there's there's penises everywhere. So you sound like you're having the most mixed adventure ever. In conclusion, Greece is a land of many contrasts. This is like, you know, this reminds me of, you know, those stereotypes in like American movies where the aunt comes over with like a slideshow of her holiday to like Gran Canaria <laughs> and you have to sit there and watch a slideshow. I, there's actually yet another Simpsons reference to this. 
<laughs> all like Patty and Selma. They say that this the Dead Sea is so dense with salt, everyone can float, but your Aunt Selma sunk like a brick. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll be back. You'll be back in the States for next week's episode, though. Maybe. No. But I will be editing it in the States, probably. Wow. Let's hope you're not stabbed by an x-ray dude by then. Yeah, yeah, you guys... lost in the cave of apocalypse. The cave of the apocalypse. We Um... might just have to fire you again. (laughs) I hope not, because they're... (laughs) Kids, listeners, we're actually figuring out how to... I'm figuring out how what to do with my schedule next week because I'm I'm trying to yeah. decide if I have time enough to visit. Don't my worry, as well. we know. Um, we yeah, know yeah, as yeah. well as everybody. It should be the three of us. <laughs> let's 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 talk about video games. Let's go back to video games before before we move on to whatever it is you were going to ask me. <laughs> uh, did you play any games on your flight over? Because you did put a poll out on Twitter asking what game you should play. Between Hollow Knight and Deadly Premonition for the airplane ride, Deadly Premonitions won, and I am pretty darn happy with that. So is this your first time playing Deadly Premonition? Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, I bought a copy on the PC and tried to get into it, but it crashes so much that it was unplayable. And so that uh, sounds about right. A couple weeks ago, um, um, Swery announced. Uh, live on stage, Deadly Premonitions is coming out on the Switch today, and and I was like, well, you know what, Sweary, I tried to play your game before, and and it was only a five dollars on a Steam sale. I'll give you thirty dollars to give it a legit try on on a uh, much comfier console this time. And ooh, yeah, ooh, 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 I can't wait to see what happens next in this video game that I'm playing. And it's been a while since I felt like that. It's good. I know it's good, right? Even I, I enjoyed Deadly. Pre- I played it in, when I was in university, like again over nine years ago. Now it was awesome. It took ages, but it was awesome. I I feel guilty and a little bit sad that the 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 catchphrase "so bad it's good" caught on, and I've like used that to describe this kind of game before. It's so amateurish. It's charming. Rather than being so bad, it's good. Like, it's not objectively, quantifiably bad. It's no, just wrong it's, in the best ways. You can see that it was essentially made for the PS2 originally, then got ported over, had budget issues. They tried to keep Swery's vision of the Twin Peaks references and everything intact. And it just ended up being this wreck of a game that ended up being narratively super interesting and strange and having memorable moments with just the weirdest pieces it's almost like a child telling a story with little materials it reminds me of those crazy one-man projects that tackle ideas way too ambitious yeah definitely because they have a lot of this town rendered like there's an open world there you can knock on every door in the hotel there's interiors for all sorts of places i can't imagine the story going yeah it's weird it's really well detailed can I do that thing that Matt loves of me so much, considering this is a, a pretty apt time to talk? Okay, is it? Is it, it what, do, what do you think it is? What does Matt love me doing so much? What, do you, what, what was Matt uh, telling me off for last week without me being there? Meeting famous people, I guess. Yes, yes. Oh, you've met Sweary, haven't you? Not met Sweary. 
pretty good friends with Swery these oh, days. Oh, come on. <laughs> Which is the weirdest fucking thing to say. He was at TGS and he came along for some drinks and we had a good time last Wednesday. It was good fun. We had some beers and we we made something which was called the Sweary Combo, which was a Heineken and a Tequila Sunrise. He truly is the drink king, as he aptly has named himself. He's a funny bloke, but it's it's just weird talking about Deadly Premonition after I played it eight, nine years ago and was just in Tokyo with him. And now you're playing it for the first time and it's beautiful. And Matt's not here, so I he can get away with it. Sorry, that's totally the most humble bag I've had so far. <laughs> can you picture me in the airplane just, like, giggling to myself in front Wait, of my video games? Not, how did you not see this? You you liked a photo of me and Sweary. Because I, I don't have photographic memory anyways. You don't pay attention. <laughs> Do you remember the very beginning of, of one of the first cutscenes where your car drives off the road and you almost crash and the camera cuts to a couple squirrels? Yeah. And it plays like a monkey sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, uh, do you remember how when you open and close the doors in the jail and they're made out of iron and they're iron bar jail cell doors <laughs> and it plays like a wooden creaky door sound effect? <laughs> this game has charm it's like folk art it's like like there's it's fun to to see the things it's doing that's wrong rather than them being like intrusive and grating to your experience it flows and creates a surreal nightmarish atmosphere that fits the twin peaks homage very well yeah. It does what it wants to do. That's what's so great. <laughs> That's what's so great about Deadly Premonition. What was so great about it in the beginning. It just does what it wants to do, which is be Twin Peaks the video game, but weirder, almost. And in the best way of like uh, making a, a, a Japanese appropriation of Twin Peaks. Like it's getting all yeah. the little cultural things wrong. Like there's there's one part where a woman is saying, I'm reading this book. It's set in the United States. And no one living in the United States would actually say that. Like there's just, there's hundreds of little weird quirks happen that are getting thrown at you per minute that are all FK. interesting to think in about coffee. in your brain. FK. And it also in the coffee. <laughs> and the main character is really fun too. <laughs> I can't wait for you to see the ending. It, it also plays way better than I was expecting, and I don't know if this is something they've done with well, the versions over the years. I don't know about that. I think that's easily Deadly Premonition's worst part is when you actually have to control it. Uh, maybe they did something to the Switch version. Driving, driving in that game is mm. like every yeah. tank vehicle. With Bad. very little vision. You you have like yeah. a postage stamp to see a road that has a four-way <laughs> yeah. intersection of traffic coming at you from all angles. Don't you have to don't you have to actually get gas and indicate and put your wipers on? Yeah, there is a windshield wipers button, yes, yes. <laughs> but the shooting, I remember when it first came out, there was like a lot of criticism that it was really hard to control. And maybe maybe also the thing happening is that I'm coming into it with lower expectations than what, what I'm getting because it feels way too easy. I think I got hit like once out of the, the three, four hours I was playing. And 
but as far as the shooting goes, like it felt like a you know, cheap RE4 style game. It felt fine. It felt okay. It felt serviceable. So you're enjoying it. Hell yeah, I'm enjoying it. God damn, I can't wait to pick it up again. I was thinking about playing it last night, and then I decided to sleep instead. And that never happens when I'm home, so maybe maybe the Switch is just a healthier video gaming place in general. But yeah, I'm I, if I don't play it more on the trip, I'm definitely going to play it on the airplane ride back. Wait a second, no, I have a ferry ride that's overnight. I should play it then. I should, I'm going to play it on a boat on the way back <laughs> from the Cave of the Apocalypse. You should do that. You should definitely do that. Can I talk a little bit about portable gaming before we move away? Oh, go right ahead, please. Apple Arcade launches by the time this episode comes out. I have questions. Let me hear your questions first. Do I need an Apple device? Yes, you do. Of course. Uh, well, never. There, take it away, Liam. I don't have any more questions. Why? Why on earth would you not need an Apple device, do you think? I don't need an Apple device to install iTunes. I, I don't know. If it's like a streaming service... That's that a good you, point, actually. That's that's a fair point, to be fair. Yeah, you also don't need a PlayStation to stream PlayStation Now. You don't need a Chrome hardware to play the Project Stadia stuff. It's That's that's my line of reason. Well, you need, you need Chrome, don't you? Well, that's software. Yeah, but it's Google software, isn't it? Like, yeah, no, I get your point. I do get your point. The thing is, at that point, I feel like I, this is It's weird... not for me then, if that's the requirement. If they, because I, I I'm interested. Know. I would say that you might feel differently if you had it. Yeah, I I was interested in giving it a whirl, but then I started looking stuff up, and really, I don't know. I don't want to pay six hundred dollars for a phone or a tablet, so I'm so obviously, obviously, if you don't have an iOS or a tvOS or a macOS device right now, there, yeah, it's it's hmm. probably not going to apply to you. But let, let me look up Apple like, TV. That might be my way in, actually. I feel like this is weird it's weird hands up straight up q games the company i work for obviously yeah, yeah we, we we need to give a disclaimer for the gamers um uh making games for it one game that is coming with the apple arcades let's just get this out of the way is a frogger game that is konami associated like published game that was developed at q games i'm not a part of that project that's a different team but Obviously, Q are in some way associated with Apple Arcade, but so are like 150 other developers. So by the by, this is me completely just talking about my experiences with Apple Arcade this week. So I so it comes out on Friday in Japan, maybe Thursday in America. Definitely by the time this episode's out, you'll if you have an iOS device or whatever, you you'll be able to access it. Uh, I've been playing it on the iOS 13 beta because I had that installed on my phone. You can, it's in the app store. It's a separate tab under the games list where you can press it and then you can sign up and it's one month free trial for everybody right now. And then it's $4.99 after that, which is a bargain to begin with. Really? That's that's good enough for me to like forget my prejudices and. I don't know. It's it's weird to think about this being like an actual device seller because I don't think it is. How to frame this so it appeals more about I don't play I, I don't play games on my phone 
Very, very rarely. Like, Downwell. I played Bang Dream, the rhythm game last year. <laughs> that we couldn't stop giggling about. Yeah. I don't play phones on, uh, phones on my games. <laughs> no, I don't play games on my phone. I never really have. I always have wanted to. I've always liked the idea. Like, oh, great. I can play Chrono Trigger on my phone. It's brilliant. But never, because the games are not good. They're they're not good. Controls. I I blame the touchscreen. No, no, no. It's like games have definitely evolved beyond that being a problem. What the problem is now is they're all gacha-based, microtransaction-filled mobile games. They're specifically made for mobile markets. They have, you know, in-app purchases. Uh, They have timers, so you can only play them. Like, they have stamina and stuff like that. They are so against what video games started out like and what we would call you know like a true video game like a console experience video game so they've always been like a certain niche type of game like pokemon go or whatever like not truly a game but like a gaming experience on your phone that you can do now apple arcade comes out this week with 53 games 53 brand new games. games It's the biggest launch for a platform ever, I think. And, and they're games. made by reputable studios, too. Like, they, they, they are, struck some good so deals. This, so this is the thing. They are made by studios like Ubisoft and uh, Simogo and Utsuo, the guys who made uh, Monument Valley, Q Games, Konami, uh, big, big game studios. Capcom. Capcom have Shinsekai into the depths. They have big games on here. And I'm I'm seriously here to tell you, like, they, this might not appeal to you at all, but if you have, like, an iOS device, just sign up. Because there are 53 games, which means there's definitely at least 10 of them, I would say, that you'd be interested in immediately. I currently have 22 games now on my iPhone 8 Plus. 22. I went from having zero games, apart from Downwell, to 22 <laughs> games. 22. And it's free right now. It's a free month trial. And you can cancel without any, any, at the end of the month before, you, if you don't want to do it anymore, you can cancel. It's so good. It's, it's weird to say of something about Apple that is, it's, it's just, good it's a good deal it's weird george it's weird but you don't have to pay anything is it... and you get 53 games and it is because some of the games are really good but you have to pay for a very very expensive piece of hardware first but i would gather that most of the people listening to this already have that device or a device that connects to it. An iPad, an iPhone, tvOS, macOS are a bit rare, but a good portion of every, people listening to this are going to have one of those devices, like I did. And I don't play games on my phone, but I had to check this out. It's it's so weird. Like, if you Google any of the previews or, like, reviews now of it, like, every, I think everybody's just in shock that it's good. There's a... And, I, it's at least a it's cheap Apple. entry price. It's a cheap entry price, but I I would absolutely say that in the two days I've had it, I've spent at least 10 hours playing games. A whole variety of different genres, 
different art styles, different ways of playing. And what's even better is with the iOS update for Apple Arcade, you can now connect your PS4 controller and your Xbox One controller to your phone or your iPad or whatever. And all of the games in this list that I've played so far have all been games that you would find on the Switch. Or the uh, PS4 stuff. I, I, have, I have question number two. What's that? Is, is it rendering on your hardware or streaming from the cloud? No, it's you download it. It's an app on your phone. You download it. It's not streaming. Oh, that's pretty it's good. Like, it's like you bought it. I have 20 gigabytes of like data used up on my phone now for this. That's pretty good. It's it's basically like somebody just gave you 53 games. Like, here, here's, here's my whole game collection. Like, some games you're not going to like, but most of them you'll probably enjoy, and then there'll be some that really stand out to you. Okay. And it, and it's going to cost you five bucks next month if you like. Dad, I have a third question. What's that? Son? Do you think in like five years it's going to be really expensive and not that well supported? No idea. Who knew what Netflix was going to be like before Netflix was Netflix? Like, I don't know if this is the future. And I don't know if it will continue to be good. But as a starting foot, it's very good. I would take this over Stadia any day. And you have employee commitments to both. Yeah, but... So that's how you know you're not biased. But, like, neither factor into this, like, as abject (laughs) talking about the types of games. Like, if you imagine a a traditional... Not traditional, but, like, if you imagine Fire Emblem Heroes and Pokemon Go... They are games you would not find on the Switch or the PS4. They are mobile games. They're that they're that level lower. Even though they make way more money, they're that level lower in everybody's minds. We know that. You're not going to have a big E3 announcement about Pokemon Go, even though it's probably one of the most played games in the world. It's not going to happen because it doesn't rank in that area. They're the core games. But some of the games like... Sayonara Wild Hearts, Overland, What the Golf, Exit the Gungeon, Mini Motorways. What the Golf is great. Saw it at, at GDC. I can't wait for that thing to come out. Every every goddamn like like I have second been of that game what is the a golf for two days, and it's amazing. What the Golf is real good, kids. It's so good, and it's coming out on Switch, and it's great. But you could have it for free if you have an iOS device right now. It's amazing. Like a Choo Choo Rocket. Choo Choo Rocket, Sonic, uh, All-Stars Racing. Uh, there's a full-blown 10-hour Capcom video game out. Sayonara Wild Hearts as well, the new game from Simogo that everyone's talking about. That is really good as well. There are a couple of games that are truly standout games, like Grindstone, which is by Cappy Games, the guys who make Below and Super Time Force and... Sword and Sorcery, Sword and Sorcery. That game is really good. Art style is great. Awesome new style puzzle game that I can't stop playing. What the Golf, as George has already mentioned, is an awesome parody of golf (laughs) that is brilliant and inventive and takes so many styles of things. 
Exit the Gungeon is a Enter the Gungeon sequel that turns everything on its head because it's on a mobile phone. You have to leave the Gungeon and to dodge things, you can slow down to bullet time and you have to just dodge everything and shoot like randomly now and again, like it's auto fire. And then all your job is to is to like jump all over the place dodging instead of shooting people. It's brilliant. Overland, which is the game from Finji, which everybody has been mentioning is one of the big titles for this because it is a full-blown console game. It's like a kind of a cross between XCOM, uh, Kentucky Route Zero, even maybe, oh, what is it? What is it? Uh, Panic, no. Or Oregon Trail. It's like a, a survival game like that, but that's a full-blown console game, like on your phone that you can play with a PS4 pad on your phone right now. It's, it's And it works. It's brilliant. And my favorite game, which is a, which is a surprise game because it, well, obviously a lot of these Apple Arcade games, nobody knew they were making them. Apple was super being coy. They were like, yeah, you know, here's a new Frogger game and, and here's like this game and this game. And then, they, you know, 53 games get announced in one day. This game is called Card of Darkness, and it's by Zach Gage. Do you know who Zach Gage is, George? The Zachtronics guy? Yes. Oh, oh, I, yes. I got it. You did get it. The guy who does, like, Magnum Opus and uh, what's the other one? The really smart other stuff he does. Oh, I always forget. Magnum, like, Opus Magnum, Space Cam. Uh, okay. I, I, I didn't want to say Space Cam because I was worried that wasn't him, but... But it is I swear him. I was and about to him. say Space Cam. It's him making the best version of like Match 3 Solitaire <laughs> with art and animation by Pendleton Ward, the creator of Adventure Time. That's cute. And it's got like the smartest game. Obviously, it's Zach. It's Zach Gage. So it's incredibly smart. But it's so approachable because of this artwork and stuff. It's not like, you know, his sort of industrial uh, scientific art that he's always used in previous games super approachable but the design is so smart like you're you're trying to get through a dungeon and all the tiles on the floor have cards on them and you have to you have to take every card you have to take it whether it gives you damage or it gives you like health or it's an enemy it's like it's so smart in the way you do it and it's it's really challenging but it has this wonderfully approachable art it's called card of darkness and it's there. It's free. It's free alongside all of these other games. And they're so accessible. You don't have to stream them. You just download them. I can't wrap my head around how Apple have kind of just come along and been like, hey. I I have a video question. Yes, Dad. Are there issues with hardware incompatibilities? No. I know this for a fact because I have been working on an Apple Arcade game. You have to make sure the game you're making works on all resolutions, on all devices, as standard. So you have to make sure that your game is either dynamic, so it scales the resolution, or it changes the gameplay space based on the size of the screen you're using. So if you're using a iPhone X uh, S Max or something, or one of the new iPhone 11s, or an iPad 12-inch Pro, or a 4K Apple TV, you have to make sure that the game fits it and recognizes what it's on, which, which is a pain which, in the ass for developers, 
but is incredibly good for everybody experiencing the same what, thing. What generation does the support start? I think it's six. Okay, there we go. So you need like an iPhone six or up. But that's that's like that is like six years ago, maybe. Three hundred seventy-nine euros. But how, when did that get released? Oh, wait, wait. I found an $18 one. Oh, that's just a screen protector. That's an $18 screen protector? 2014. 2014 is when uh, iPhone 6 came out. So that's, you know, it's a five-year-old phone. So it's not going to run things very well. I mean, it'll run them, but it's kind of like having a an old PC versus a new PC, I guess. Still kind of looks like you can't spin... More than, or less than 300. Mini Motorways. A sequel to Mini Metro. Did you play Mini Metro, George? No. Well, you build, you'd, I think you'd really like that. You have to like manage building Wait, subways. actually, I might have. Let me, let me look up a screenshot. Because I remember some little uh, like town tower builder that I played on. I no, no, this isn't that. That's not what I was thinking. But this, but this, like they just dropped the sequel to that game. And they called it mini motorways and you build roadways for like different cities like Beijing and Los Angeles and London and Tokyo. And they just dropped the sequel to that like in one day. It's 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 weird. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm shilling because obviously I have unbiased want for it to not Apple to succeed, but for the developers who are associated with it to succeed. And I don't know. I, I, I want to point out that during all previous discussions of Google Stadia, you sat them out. And for this one, though, you're going like straight in. <laughs> because, I, because I have now tried the product myself, like regardless of whatever is on it. But like as a consumer, like as somebody who loves, has, has come to love having like a library of games on his Switch and taking his Switch everywhere, having all of the, like I, I took my broken old DualShock 4 controller in my bag so on the train I could play Overland on my phone with a PS4 controller and it just works Ooh, question number five where do you put your device when you're riding on the train when and playing it with a controller I have this thing on the back of my iPhone case which allows me to hold it between my fingers and so I don't drop my phone but it doubles up as like if you you can bend it and turn it into like a stand, so I can sit my like phone a upright. Kickstand sort of thing. Yeah, kind of like a little kickstand. Yeah, so okay, like I got that. a kickstand on the back of my phone, and I back when I was testing out some streaming services, I actually did that. <laughs> yeah, but this is the thing. Like, I think if you had like an iPad, an iPad Pro, I've even been looking into maybe getting an iPad Pro because. This is great to have like a that higher resolution title just running in front of your face. iPad Pro. Wow. Yeah, I'm seeing four digit numbers. Oh, oh yeah, there's a $129 one. Oh, that's the folder. It's a $130 folder for <laughs> I know, what? right? No, wait, George, type in iPad pencil. See how much that costs. No. <laughs> Fucking, it's the terrifying. first result is 120. The second is 160. It's absolutely terrifying. Okay, I hope I hope you can give me some sympathy though. That that really does. I don't want to say scare me away so much as I, I just I feel like I can safely dismiss it. It does sound nice though. It it is. It nice. I would. That's the thing is right. It definitely isn't. Go out and buy an Apple device right now. 
even though if you do buy an Apple device, you do get Apple Arcade for free right now. But it's definitely not that because they, their devices are way too expensive, like fucking way too expensive. It, the Switch, three hundred dollars, it's great. All games, Breath of the Wild, like none of these games are going to be Breath of the Wild. I mean, there's some pretty fucking stellar indie titles, though, that you would buy on the Switch, like Sayonara Wild Hearts and What the Golf and Overland. They're games you're going to buy on the Switch. It's the same experience. There's nothing lost, which is so amazing to me. Like, I wanted to play Sayonara Wild Hearts, but now I have it on my phone. I'm not going to buy it on the Switch. I got it for free. I can play it anytime. It's If you have an iOS device and you play games then it's a no-brainer. You have to get Apple Arcade. You get 53 games immediately for $5 a month. It's insane. Well, that's, a, that's, that's, that's an aggressive endorsement. Um, there's one, one, one more item on your docket, though, that, 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 that we've been teasing that I really want to hear about. <laughs> let, me just, let me just finish the Apple Arcade thing. Oh! Just let me finish. Just let me finish. If you have an iOS device and you like games, get it. If you have an Apple a device anyway, and you sometimes play games, try it and then cancel. I'm just like, I'm seriously impressed. I don't know how to say this without being like, oh, Liam's fucking working on an Apple game. It's like, no, no, no. Like, if you like games, this is really impressive. Read some reviews. It's it's quite, it's quite strange how well it's worked out. Anyway, yeah. Take it away, George. Liam. <laughs> Dark Crystal. Oh, no. That's not what you wanted to talk about, is it? You wanted to talk about the other thing that happened at TGS that I forgot about. Mm -hmm. How did you forget about it already? I'm highlighting it in the docket right now. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I left this for the, the true listeners, the guys who stayed until the end. Oh, my God. We're an hour and a half in. <laughs> and, and this is something that I wanted you to segue to like, like 35 minutes in. By the way, I was hoping you wanted to talk about Dark Crystal. Holy but shit. It's fine. So <laughs> during TGS, I met I met God, George. Well no now when you say met, are you sure you, you don't mean took a picture of him when he wasn't looking? I took it I took a sneaky picture of when he wasn't looking because I didn't want to talk to him. And usually I don't have any problem talking to these people. I didn't want to talk to him because I feel like maybe it could be a possibility that he might have had somebody tell him about this show and about all of the fun that we make of him. <laughs> and he might have punched me or tried to sue me. I don't know. One or the other. What? No. Why? I can't, I can't <laughs> picture Kojima doing that, much less most Japanese businessmen. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm not. I didn't. It wasn't Kojima. Oh, my it God. Was, you were just the, like mopedding circles around me. It was the French god himself. Jesus. The Liam. master. The master of narrative storytelling. I wish you could hear the sound on my face right now. It was David Cage in the flesh. <laughs> so so did you meet David Cage or sneak a picture of him when he wasn't looking? No, I was walking on the TGS show floor. And then there was a man standing in front of me that I very clearly recognized. And didn't it didn't immediately click to me who it was. And, and honest to God, this is, no, I say it in me, Kojima, either, but no word of a lie, five minutes prior to that, I was at the Cyberpunk 2077 booth, and Kojima came to that booth. 
because he wanted to get he was like gifted like a special samurai jacket from the <laughs> cyberpunk team so kojima had just walked past me as well to go to the cyberpunk booth and then i was like oh shit everyone's making a massive fanfare of kojima being here i'm gonna go somewhere else and then nobody was making a fanfare of, the, the, of david oh, no. now you're he never was, gonna meet him he was standing i could have gone over and talked to him he was just standing there in the middle of the show floor looking lost like a little lamb with his with his like you know the you know the meme of like john travolta from uh pulp fiction you know where he looks lost and he's got like his yep. coat around his arm yeah. the gif yeah that that's, Wait, that's just john pitch. travolta from Pulp yeah, Fiction? From, I know the gift yeah. you're talking about. I didn't know it was John Travolta from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Have you have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yeah, but I don't remember him doing that. Well, it's when he's in the house and he's waiting for Uma Thurman to like do cocaine or whatever. Anyway, that gif is what David Cage looked like on the TGS show floor. Sorry, David. And he, I was... I, I then snapped into reality and realized who it was and I tried so hard to take the sneakiest but best but because he was on his own he was looking around like there was nobody between us and so i sort of was like i'm not going to say hello to him because i'm scared he might know about dad and sons and then liam liam what is this cult of kojima you put on the podcast docket i want to know so bad that's the cyberpunk thing is it what Just about the cult? People lost though? their mind. People lost Is, their are, minds. Are there really like people who follow Kojima around these cons yes. and, and worship people him? People lost. Like, Kojima is like the the floor he walks on is worshipped. He like he walked over to the cyberpunk booth and he, he he had like five of his like posse with him. Like his assistant was like writing things down while he's walking, and then he got to the cyberpunk booth, and like the people in the line were like woo and it was a business day so most of them are meant to be like professional people but everybody's just like losing their mind and like the cyberpunk team are like racing to like greet him into the booth and then get him on the motorbike and like give him like a special jacket like everybody's losing their minds it's so weird to think like like the cyberpunk team and cdpr has like a, a really positive online presence they have their own sycophantic cult in japan they are published by spike chunsoft though so a lot of their booth was spike chunsoft people working for cyberpunk were were, oh so were those the people who like rushed over to to get on their knees they were were doing the very they were doing the very japanese thing of knowing he's a man of great importance so they rushed him to like the front of the line and into the booth immediately Still sounds pretty culty to me. It was super weird. Like, and then he had his like TGS stage. Like the big thing of TGS this year was that on the PlayStation booth, they had the live Death Stranding gameplay thing, you know, first in the world, blah, blah, blah. There was, there was a good, like, I don't know, like 3000 people watching. You look at pictures. If you type pictures of TGS 2019, PlayStation booth you'll see like just a sea of people watching in, in kojima. the picture of kojima that you took when he wasn't looking there is a sea of people around him yeah he was mobbed he had he was surrounded so, by people so weird i i wonder what that was like 10 
10 years ago. <laughs> Poor David Cage had nobody. Nobody but me sneaking a photo of him. To be fair, he was in the Tokyo Game Show, and I've seen some pretty good, actually well-done cosplays of uh, Detroit from, from human characters. It's, it's, it's like weird. Why is he there? Like I'm looking at the photo I, now, and he's just—he's just. He's I, just it had to have own. been business, right? He looks. You don't go to TGS like, for pleasure as a as a yeah, Westerner. I don't know. Sending him, flying himself out there though for business. I don't know. He must be. He must go into some pretty high-profile meetings if he is. Otherwise, I don't think he'd waste his time. It's a long trip from France. But his thing—I'm looking at the photo now, and I'm like, man, kind of looks like Bill Murray lost in translation. <laughs> just <laughs> this lonely bald man. We're never gonna meet him, and and maybe he's actually gonna like punch first if if maybe. he ever does cross paths with us. I hope not. I'm worried. But I got the photo, and I immediately messaged both of you. I was like, "Look, look, 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 <laughs> look who it is." <laughs> you know, though, when when you said David, I thought that. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought you oh, guys were talking is... about David Hater first so... because I would actually expect him to be at the TGS, not David Cage. No, th yeah, that's the thing. Uh, yeah. So I messaged the Discord and Matt lost his mind. Matt couldn't believe it. And then you were like, oh my God, I thought he had hair. I didn't know he was bald. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and I was like, David Hater has a great What are you talking about? Cut? You're like, oh, I thought you've been David Hater. I was like, no, it's David Cage. And then you lost your mind. <laughs> uh, anyways, we, 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 we saw him. Some we saw emails. Jason himself. I kind of was so tempted to be like, David. Dave. <laughs> there's 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 people out there who aren't gonna punch us if we cross paths with them and though those are our our children what are we calling them these days the sons the daughters the dads but how can you be all three i mean how can we be both you decide who is the, dad? <laughs> who is the son you so, decide first uh listener question we have this week is from tristan mcclellan who says, since George is interested in replaying mediocre games like Total War Rome 2, was there any game that is mediocre that kept you wanting to keep playing? And what about the game made you want to keep playing? Most sports games. Oh, yeah, you're a big football fan, right? Yeah, most sports games are mediocre as fuck, yet I still play them. We, we actually got a question for you in the inbox that I didn't throw in here because I thought it was too specific, but now's a great time. Someone wants to know if you're offended about the uh, new FIFA Legacy Edition they're making for the Switch that it literally is the last year's game, but with the names changed. They've been doing that for Nintendo consoles for a long time, and it is pretty shitty. But then what do you expect from EA, really, on a Nintendo platform? It's bad. If you're a Switch owner, I guess don't own it. <laughs> oh my god. George, I've just yes. come across this headline. Breaking news. Hideo Kojima says Death Stranding won't get really fun until halfway through the game. And players oh. will probably be a little lost to start. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That's less fun than yesterday's headline, which was Death Stranding is a metaphor for Trump. <laughs> Sorry, that was breaking news. Anyway. Anyway. Um, any any other mediocre sports games besides soccer games? Uh yeah, like old cricket games. <laughs> really? Yeah. Just they're really janky and bad because the audience of them is so tiny. But yeah, I used to play cricket when I was a kid. I'm English. It's kind of what we do. And yeah, 
janky old cricket games. There are probably like actual other mediocre games that I've definitely kept playing, but not these days. When I was younger, maybe. That is an incredibly specific subgenre. I wonder if it has its own giant bomb page. And if it doesn't, you should make it. But there definitely isn't like, you know, like a standout sports game. There's never been like a game where people are like, even though it's sports, you must own it. Whereas, you know, there have been like different genres, like strange genres, like rhythm games and stuff that people are still like, oh, wow. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't like rhythm games, you should own this game. You know, that sort of feeling. But with sports, there's never been a game where it's like, it doesn't matter if you don't like the sport. The game itself is really good. So they're always kind of just mediocre and normal. Um, so my answer kind of got answered in the question itself. <laughs> uh, a Rome 2 Total War is definitely like like mediocre game of the now. But the... Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Oh my god. Oh my god. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, no, that's that's right. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. What about the game makes you want to keep playing? Um, so much so, I went to Athens. <laughs> it's it's the historical romanticism of it, and I think that's actually evoked by how they released the Discovery Tour last week, and I've actually played more of that mode than the regular games mode since then. Um, with regards to Rome 2 Total War, this is a phenomenon I've noticed a lot. That's like a mediocre game saved by a mod that ends up turning it into a really interesting, fun game. Does that count, though? Do we do we count mods as changing changing games? Yeah, no, I think so. Like, do you do you ever try to play the Arma games? Uh, oh, like A R M A, like D Daisy Daisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I didn't. The, the really, really intimidating, horrible control scheme, buggy as shit, but one of like the most creative and accomplished mod scenes out there. I I really got sucked into Arma 2 when I was playing with the clan who had like some special shit set up that that turned it into their little military role playing simulator. And um, that's that's also where DayZ comes from. Yeah. Uh, the original Far Cry from 2004 is a game that would probably not be very special nowadays, except it was very, very moddable. I had a lot of fun with that as a kid playing with the physics properties where I turned um, this this pinball sort of effect going on where every time an enemy ragdolled, they just shot out into the environment and bounced off some other piece of the environment and then launched <laughs> themselves into space. Uh, I'm really into the Sims games, which can be argued have kind of, uh, uh lost, lost the, yeah, the, the been, bottled lightning. You've been weird the past couple of months, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I, I, I still like the Sims. I mean, the first Sims was like a brilliant avant-garde experience for the time, but ever since then they've had a lot of objective oriented gameplay that's filling out checklists, but something about the, the, the fantasy of, of living a stable life where you can afford to fill out checklists as a hobby is very, very compelling probably because your real life gets more stressful noticing how much time you've been spending playing mediocre games. <laughs> God, I wish I had enough time on this planet to spend even a brief time playing mediocre games. Well, be careful, because then you'll get sucked in and not play actually good games like Deadly yeah. Premonitions until you travel <laughs> to Greece. But then, is Deadly Premonition a mediocre game, or just a, a it's so bad it's good game? Now I'm just, like, wanting to claw my hand towards the sky and proclaim the irrelevance of labeling things. 
Yeah, because like, mediocre that's the problem, games tend it? to be games that you're just like, you don't have any feeling for them, which is the worst kind of thing. Like, if you but, play a game, it's so bad. At least you have, like, a fun experience in telling but, everybody how bad it is. Whether or not a mod makes it better than mediocre or whether or not the stuff going through your brain makes it better than mediocre like at that point is it really mediocre anymore you know yeah anyways uh next question is uh from lee and just just lee nothing else, just lee i got into the yakuza games about a month ago and i found it interesting how the kiwami remakes were done can you think of a series that would benefit from the same kind of treatment? A remake that updates not just the graphics and combat, but also adds things that are now commonly known or standard to its prequels and sequels. Um, There's a lot of candidates, I bet. I don't know, because Yakuza got famous after four-ish. So Kiwami is like serious remakes that have had money and time put into them i don't know how many series have been around for so long that it, they didn't get famous until later that then have the ability to go back and make nice recreations of the original well, games. well let's let's just say it's a fantasy because mine's a fantasy that has been stomped on and and like mocked and derided and and it's a no-brainer that millions of fans have requested and that's a remake of mgs3 but in no. MGS5, like, kind of pseudo it. open world. Oh, huh? huh? Don't touch it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with MGS3 that. MGS3 is still playable. MGS3 is okay. still playable. Like, perfectly playable. Like, the PS Vita port of the HD collection of MGS3 is, like, fucking great. I'm, I am okay with that reality, too, as well. But in the realm of fantasy, like, those, those patchy slot cut scenes really, really get your juices flowing for what a a remake could look like i don't know don't don't like maybe with the graphics maybe just like a, a complete reskin with exactly the same gameplay maybe i don't know i don't know i'd like to have better crouch controls in mgs3 you know what yeah i'm changing my answer let's remake mgs3 to be exactly the same but with better crouching controls yeah okay that would be okay because the sequels did figure out how to get snake up and down off the ground better I, I can't yeah i can't think of anything really that stand out right now that is so needing like obviously final fantasy 7 remaster remake is happening i would love to see like a game like final fantasy 6 be re yeah yeah there you go there you go i'm surprised it's taken you this long because no, no, i got like a lot because the kiwami series is basically just like taking an old ps2 game that had good ideas and then just making a brand new game like it's it's different i i yeah maybe final fantasy 6 reimagining in 3d like final I, fantasy 7 is i would love to see them take another stab at the witcher one i i feel like that's a game that deserves another look do you know what game I wish they would remake but put more budget into it and then turn it out to be the game it deserved to be? Alpha Protocol. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Deus Ex Invisible War. There's like a lot of cool cyberpunk spy stuff that tends to release real janky for some reason. IYE Divine Cybermancy. But there's a lot of candidates here. Games that, that are great but deserve a remake. Man, we could go on forever, really. If if we're allowed to be like, yeah, you can turn Final Fantasy VI into a 3D game. Let's, let's go on to the last question for the week. 
from Mikhail K. Mikhail K., whose name I had to translate from the Cyrillic alphabet, says, Hey, dad and sons, was there some huge cult games that you didn't want to engage with for years because of the fandom slash massive lineage of sequels slash feeling that the artwork slash setting is not up your alley, but then you randomly just try that out and all of a sudden become a fan instantly and suddenly you're understanding why the game was held in such high regards? Please name an example and why you didn't want to get into that franchise in the first place. League of Legends. You're into League of Legends? Was into League of Legends. Uh. I got into League of Legends about 2010. No, 2009, 10. Almost two years into it existing when it, when it really was starting to take off. And I refused. I was like, no, it's not the way forward. I want to play JRPGs and, and Nintendo games. I don't want to play with this eSports. And then I played it and I was like, wow, this game's really good. <laughs> and then I got very addicted to it for like four years. Uh, I want to say Minecraft. I, I followed and played a bit of Minecraft when it was first getting going around 2008 and didn't get it at all. Yeah, and... I still don't get it. I still <laughs> to this day don't. To be fair, there, there, there was not a lot of survival mechanics going on back then. But then like around 2011, 12, they added that in. And now I'm... I'm always down for Minecraft. I I love Minecraft. Some of my like fondest social gaming memories are of making cute houses with friends and living to them together in Minecraft. And I would not have traded it for the world. But when I was first playing it out, it did make me sleepy and bored and I hated it and didn't get it. And when it was blowing up into this big thing, I was like, guys, gaming is dead if Minecraft is this popular. And now I'm like sad that it's Fortnite is more popular than Minecraft. Yeah. I really wish that Minecraft was still the mega popular kids game of the of our times. Yeah, everything was well, I don't know. Now you in know, hindsight, when, when now we know who made dropped Minecraft from space. Now yeah, now we know who made Minecraft. The Stork. Oh, times were simpler back then. Imagine how the Greeks feel. <laughs> <laughs> Times were I simpler always ignore... before 2008, yes. Uh, but then George came along and spent all of his money here, and now the economy is saved. Yay! Uh, I, I hate to say that that uh, the taxis are, like, way cheaper than I was expecting to spend on that. That's good. I budgeted Profit. a lot more for this trip than I'm actually going to end up spending. <laughs> Even if I tried, that's how... Oh, this is the first. Well, it's about that time. It's about that time that me and Matt demand a pay rise. Then, with all the money I'm not spending on the Greek economy, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Sorry, Zeus. This is ours. Let's let's figure that out in the future at some point after we eventually end this episode that went on not for surprisingly on long. Yeah, and we. Uh, the thing is, Matt wasn't here, so we talked about video games. <laughs> instead of sirens pew well that's still video games oh yeah that was you guys last week yeah we talked Hell about yeah. video games we talked about we talked about video games from now which is which is a record we never do that i i have one last question question number six dad yes son daughter if you were on the podcast last week would you have allowed us to talk about sirens pubes yeah, I don't really care about Final Fantasy VIII, but man, at this point, it's just laughable, the things people get angry about. Let's all just laugh. Let's just laugh at them. Man. 
Like the, I saw, I saw that one screenshot of a uh, what's her name, Riona, Renoa, Renoa, right? Renoa Hardily, yeah. Like the the picture of like the, her like V necked sweater, and like it had like it had <laughs> it had like actual ruler measurements to show the pixel like width of of why they've made her chest flatter. comparing her model to her to old the... one like i would not notice like that's a change i no. would not like have noticed somebody at is all. like literally measuring pixel widths in centimeter conversions with rulers about how it's angered them so much that they have made Renoa's chest the, flatter the, the, or the, siren the texture don't thing. look like that oh my god that that's that's night and day though because I, I, I don't know. Actually, okay, I have one great question to end this podcast on. And I think I might have teased at it earlier during a Discord conversation we had. Is it, would you take a picture of David Cage sneakily at a convention? Because the answer is, heck yeah. Apparently, yeah, you would. But oh, Liam, when you first played FF8 as a kid, I'm assuming, did you play FF8? I did. I didn't really like it, but yes. When, when, when you first summoned up the Siren... And and her her weird ass uh, uh, costume piece is revealed. What were you thinking? What did what did it look like to you? Uh, I don't know. No idea. I don't remember being embarrassed. I I remember the first time. I remember specifically the first time I was embarrassed about playing a video game in like because I was a kid. So the the, the PS two was like in the living room of the house. So anybody wow. can walk in. I remember specifically was the opening to Final Fantasy X-2. No, with the pop song? Yeah, with the pop song and like, uh, you know, like uh, the, them dancing and like, uh, what's it? Riku. Riku, yeah. Why am I not good at remembering names today? When Riku is like, you know, wearing her like yellow bikini and stuff and she's like kicking ass and stuff. And I'm like, oh God, what if my... What if my mother walks in? <laughs> so I don't, I don't remember then about Siren. I think I was too young to even just register at that how, time. How old were you? When did it release? 99. 99? Oh, I'd be, I'd be nine. But I was I was too okay. busy playing Snowboard Kids on Nintendo 64 to give I, shit, really. I played it a few years later after it was out. I played it when I was 12 going on 13. Ah, so you were... And I could not look away. You were like, how do I pause the screen? It it was a formative experience. Like, I'm pretty sure what was happening was I was at that age where you were looking at where... You were looking for pubes where there may be none. <laughs> so were you angry that they changed your formative experience? No, it made a lot of sense to me because so many kids are going to play that and think it's pubes. I don't think any kids are going to play the Final Fantasy VIII remaster, but... I mean, but look at... look what, what else does that look like? Am I looking at a different screenshot than everyone else? I don't understand. It's a feather bikini. She is mostly made of feathers. And feathers are basically hair for birds. Well, yeah. Hairy dinosaurs, man.